Welcome to the fifth episode of the Old Testament Bible Hour with Jody. Tonight we take a look at the story of Noah's Ark. We're excited about all the great feedback. Man, you guys are listening like crazy out there. I think the last couple of podcasts have have reached new levels for us, which we're really excited about. Okay. Um, yeah, we started a Twitter account as well, and I have now posted all of our um, previous episodes to that Twitter account as well as on our podcast. So. You hope you follow us. If you can search um, Old Testament Bible Hour, and you will find us on Twitter. So, well, we hope, hope you learned something about Noah's Ark tonight, and have as good a time as we will listen to this podcast. Um, we'll post the segments as soon as we can, and then you can give us some feedback about that. So, we'll be right back after this with my take on Noah's Ark. Okay, so this is Brian, and as you know, on this segment, we I take a look back and at what the Bible, and from my Missouri Synod perspective, has to say about Noah's Ark. And so as I reviewed it tonight, the thing that I had forgotten about to start off with was how God was not happy, and he said he's going to wipe everybody and everything else off the face of the earth because he wasn't happy with people. And so then God talked to Noah, which I didn't realize that God had talked to Noah, and so then he said... He decided that all the people must die because they filled the world with crime, and now I'm going to destroy them all in the world. So he told him to build this ark, and he was very specific about the size and everything else of the ark, which I'm interested to learn more about tonight. And um, But then he says that you need to put, and my remembrance of it is, is take two of every kind of living being of every animal into the ark. But then in chapter 7, it says, take with you seven pairs of every clean animal. So I'm kind of confused about that. So I'm anxious to learn more about that part. And then it says, um, there will be seven days after, I will make it rain for 40 days, which seems amazing to me. And then the part about Noah being 600 years old makes me kind of curious about that as well. And then after the flood came, then these people, everything was cleaned and everything seemed fine and everything else. And the flood ends, and yeah, and then everything seems like it came out great. Really? So, yeah. That's where we're going to end the story, that everything came out great? Well, well, it's it, like in this quote, it says, When the Lord smelled the pleasant odor, he said to himself, Never again will I curse the ground on account of man, although man's thoughts are evil from his youth, and never again will I kill every living thing as I did. And what did everything he do to show them that? I don't know. You can teach me that. <gasps> what? Okay. Brian, the Missouri Synod has failed us all once again. All right. We'll be back. <coughs> all right. We are joined by Jody, who will give her take on Noah's Ark. Okay. First, I think it's important to note that you oh, yeah. don't know what the covenant sign of the covenant was. Well, and secondly, that we're also drinking bullet whiskey mm. again tonight. I thought about beer, but as you can probably hear, both of kind of suffering from a little bit of... Um, Coughing yeah. spells, and so I was thinking whiskey would probably be the better out to go. It's medicinal so, tonight. Yeah, it is. It's more medicinal. So, <laughs> so we'll just tell ourselves that. So yeah, it reminds me of a rainbow. Oh, way to try to plug <laughs> it! You didn't know. <laughs> you didn't know. I I didn't remember. How do you forget? Isn't that the point? Like, I don't know. Okay, honest to God, though, did you grow up with flannel grams, flannel graphs in your school? Yeah. Or in Sunday school? Yeah. 
You don't yeah. remember knowing the Ark? And that's like the big, the tidy bow at the end of the story. Get it? Bow, punny. I'm being punny. Yeah. At the end of the story, the rainbow. I just, I just. Forgot. God says, never again will I destroy the earth. With... Okay, okay. Okay. Hmm. No. Hmm. Okay. I just, I'd forgotten that part of it. I just feel like that seems like a kind of crucial part. You were really excited about the destruction. Right, right. And the animals. Yeah, yeah. All right. Nose in the dark. Yeah. Okay, so I might go a little farther than what we talked about, though. Is that okay? Yeah. Because I think it's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So. Oh, Noah's Ark. <laughs> okay, so before we begin, though, I think it's important to talk about. Raise your collective hands if you've heard about Kevin. Or no, what's his name? I keep calling him Crazy Kevin, and I know that's not his name. Um, Mr. Ham, who started the Creation Museum in good old. Is it Virginia or oh, North Carolina? Yeah. Or. Yeah, and it's like millions and millions and millions of dollars invested in creating a, you know, true to life. And I'm using, please people, no, I'm using air quotes here, um, ARC. And then he's got the Creation Museum. And part of why this fascinates me, well, there's two reasons. One, because what a disgusting use of the church's resources. <clears throat> Given all the things we've talked about, about Jesus and... Um, the the way of the way of Christianity, like, oh, we're gonna create this epically ridiculous museum to prove that a young earth and creationism existed and create a life size ark. Seven million dollars. Anyway. But also, okay, so I think this is really important. Most of us grew up in some way, if if any of us grew up, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably grew up in some kind of tradition that taught you to revere the Old Testament stories as both true and factual. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Definitely. And for some reason, Noah's Ark and the Worldwide Flood have become one of the flagships, again, no pun intended, of believing in a, in a true and authentic Christian faith. Like if you're a, you know, it's the Scotsman's argument, kind of bullshit, but if you're a real Christian, you believe in Noah's Ark and you believe there was a Worldwide Flood. I mean, no one's going to come out and say that, but... but that's kind of the sense, right? Like right. we were, we we're taught if, if you grew up in, in the super conservative circles, um, like I did, most of my science classes were an apologetic for a worldwide flood. I was taught that's why the Grand Canyon exists. I was taught that the rivers, the waters of the Colorado river were, you know, the, the, the grandchild of the worldwide flood of Noah. So, wow. yeah. So for some reason, we've decided that believing in this story more than any of the other ones, even more than Jesus on the cross and rising from the dead is somehow hinged to our, um, our, it's like a merit badge for being a Christian. I don't know. We get extra points if we can somehow make an argument and prove that there was a big ark and there were all these animals on it and, you know, they fell asleep and they hibernated and that's why they didn't eat each other and then... The ark is parked on the top of a mountain in Turkey and yada, yada, yada. So I think that's really important to note. Um, and a little background that I want to lay before we talk about the story. Okay, so I am going to start by acknowledging the fact that I have a very animated voice to begin with, but then when I'm sick, it's even more so. <laughs> so everyone just bear with me right now. Okay, so Noah's Ark. So starting at the beginning. So we talked... A little bit. 
when you and I were talking about the story of Adam and Eve, about how the God of the Old Testament, he can be, like, it's really easy, it's really easy to read the God of the Old Testament as kind of an asshole, like the asshole God. And I think it's a really unfortunate narrative that we will do that, and then, like, and then Jesus made everything right. And so, again, just so important to reframe that we read these stories through the lens of the people who wrote them. Mm. And that's so important. Because the story starts with God, who only four chapters earlier was looking at all that he had created and um, and says constantly, keeps affirming the goodness of everything. That God looks at man and at the sky and at the water and at the animals and then at man and woman and affirmed that it all was good. And all of a sudden, Old Testament asshole God, who apparently also proves themselves to be fickle as hell has decided that everything is wicked everything's it's like i was this way as a little kid right like i would have these epic ideas of this thing i would want to create i'm somewhat of a perfectionist i don't know if anyone's noticed that and i would start a drawing or i would start a song or i would start oh especially i would used to choreograph dance routines in my grandparents basement mostly to whitney houston i just think that should be noted and I would start something, and I had this grand idea, and it was so beautiful, and I would tell my grandpa how amazing it was going to be, and then I would get, like, 16 bars in and be like, this is all shit. Because that's what you do when you're nine. And so that's sort of how the God of the Old Testament is, and we read it too literally. <coughs> what happened between there and there? Not a lot. I know. There was Cain and Abel, which I think, is that in our, is that in our bowl? Cain and Abel? Where, where did it? Didn't we didn't do Cain and Abel. Are they in the bowl? Oh, man. We got to have Cain and Abel. Yeah, they're in the bowl. All right, we'll yeah, get back to that. Okay, good. Yeah, I was thinking we did it. But yeah, it's in the bowl. Okay, good. Um, and the Tower of Babel. Like, good shit happened. Like, interesting. Um, early civilization, fun stuff. But all of a sudden, here we find ourselves that um, we're in this... You know, we need to remember, too, that this story supposedly is happening in, like, the bronze... Neolithic area era of time and it's so important to like put a pin in when this is happening because we treat them like they're in our time in our era they think the way we do they see things the way we do they interact with each other the way we do they have the same social norms we do and that is just simply not the case <laughs> praise baby Jesus for that <laughs> so all of a sudden God um, is looking down in their fickleness and all of a sudden has decided that like Everything is awful. And so I'm going to take my Etch-A-Sketch and I'm going to shake that bad boy like mad until I can start over from scratch. And here's the part that always kills me. So we come to the story with a lens already knowing how it ends, right? So we know where it's going to go and we know that ultimately all these stories end with Jesus. And so that's the lens with, we, with which we read this. But really, like, who comes to a story thinking about the God of love who starts with like, well, all you fuckers suck, so I'm starting over. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't make sense! So it doesn't really add up. So let's just remember that. Um, so here we've got this guy, Noah, and his family. And Noah's an old cat. <coughs> like, mythically old, right? Like, sage on a mountain makes no sense. And of course, if you grew up like I did, you're going to hear a million stories about how 6,000 years ago, because we all know the earth isn't that old, cough, cough, sarcasm, that 
the ozone layer was a certain way, and so the how the whole world was essentially a greenhouse, and people could live to be forever, and Methuselah, and yada yada yada. Okay, people, 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 people. This is all legend. Even if it's not myth, some of it's myth. Some of it's just straight up myth. Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, gorgeous, important, powerful myth of origin for us. Not for how we came to be, not for how we were formed, but for our identity. And so Noah and the Ark is in the same vein, so we're going to talk about the legend. Okay, so... The legend is that there's this man, and he builds this ship, this crazy ship, because God comes and tells him directly that this huge flood is coming because God is disappointed with mankind. But, can okay... Yes. God talked to Noah. Okay. Haven't we talked about that before, that God hardly talks to anybody, right? Well, you and I have had a conversation about that. You and I have lots of whiskey conversations that aren't for public consumption, so... (laughs) 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 (coughs) Yeah. Okay. But it's a legend, right? So I'm, like, recapping. Um, So the funny thing about Noah... So you guys, I, like, wrestled with this one about, like... How do you retell the story? Because I didn't pick this list, y'all. It should be noted that Brian and his son and my daughter picked this initial list. So I don't know that I would have put Noah and his Ark on this list. Um, Because I guess there's a lot I take for granted. So I was wrestling with how to retell the story. Because there's really not like a... It's not like there's another way to read the story in our tradition. Okay? So it's not like... It's not like Ruth and Boaz, where to read the story through the lens of Ruth's eyes. Or Adam and Eve, where to read the story as it was through the lens of Jewish tradition. Because this is truly a legend. And there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of founding civilizations that all have a flood myth. Hmm. All have a flood myth. There's like... Five right there in the Mesopotamian area, the Hindis have one, and and there's a god, so the god of water, water is associated with that, and then um, there's tons in Africa, and there's some in Asia, and holy crap, you guys, the Mayans have one, and the Bacabs, you know, like there were three, there were three massive events where the gods were upset with how the people were worshiping, and then on the third one, it was a flood. Here's the Mayans, seven thousand miles away from Turkey, which is where we, you know, think the ark is 7,000 miles away in the bronze age neolithic age stone age there's a flood myth and they were left with four people the the bacabs who were left to uphold the four corners of the sky it's like one of the coolest myths ever you should go check it out but everyone's got a flood myth and it all has to do with the deity looking down and being like well this is shit let's start over like every single time and so we come to noah's ark and we're like oh but ours is right because we Christians, we never do that, right? And so ours is the only truth. Ours is the right truth. Whatever, dude. Everyone's got a truth about a flood myth. And so this is one where we legitimately need to just take our place in the queue of society and recognize that our flood myth is really not that different. So Noah is our legend, right? So everything needs to be taken that way. Like you don't go read... Did, did you read Homer in high school? Did you have to read like the, the Odyssey? and? Yeah. You don't want me to ask you any questions about it, do you? (laughs) (laughs) But you get what a legend is. But why was it, why was they so specific about... Everything? Yeah. Okay. So this Mm -hmm. is where it gets good. So instead, 
of pretending for a moment that I would know how to tell any of y'all a different way of reading <coughs> the story of Noah and the Ark. I, noisy car. I want to tell you about the way I have had it read to me that made it the most powerful. So among my many strange adventures, um, I had the chance to hang out with some very, very, very cool um, Jewish people. And some were very orthodox, very orthodox. My first experience was in a crazy Purim where the men and women were separated, but I've never been in a more fantastic <coughs> party ever in my life. Um, all the way to some um, friends who practice their spirituality in the Reconstructionist tradition. So a lot of really very thoughtful, purposeful, devoted, intentional friends who live out their Jewish faith. So in the midst of this, I met a rabbi who, when we were talking about this story and about how our, our tradition, Protestant Christians, tend to really get hung up on Noah's Ark, um, more even so than a lot of Old Testament stories. He told me the story this way, that Noah was a great man who became a legend. And that people were <coughs> forgetting their godlikeness. People were forgetting their belovedness. People were once again venturing into this place of shame and brokenness and abusing each other out of that place. And so God found Noah, who wanted to be righteous, right? Because that's the starting point. And um, gave Noah a seemingly impossible task. He gave him a great task, one that didn't make sense, and one that was a bigger dream than any person should, should dream, and one that would um, incite curiosity, and told Noah, build this thing. Build this thing. Create this place. And so Noah did. 120 years. No project should take somebody 120 years. And so what's the point? The point was that for 120 years, Noah had the opportunity to talk to people about how to change. People would come to Noah and say, Noah, what the hell? Why are you building this big-ass boat? And Noah could find a way to engage with them about how the world could be and about let's remember a time when Yada yada, please hear me not say that as like, let's go back to when women were in the kitchen and marriage was between, that's not what I'm saying. But let's remember those moments when we were loving. Let's remember those moments when we were kind. Let's remember those moments when we acted out of our godlikeness. And so it was always an opportunity to engage with the culture around him and to engage with the people around him. And after a while, Noah builds the ark. And instead of continuing to engage in the conversation, Noah goes inside the ark and he shuts himself off. Noah goes into the ark and he decides that the ark is now his sanctuary from everything that's happening around him and that the world is left to its own devices. And so he closes the doors and he's in there in his man-made Garden of Eden. Just right? by himself? Well, he's got his animals. Oh, yes, okay. According to the legend, he's got two of everything. The seven clean, by the way, because he's still a good Jew at the end of the day, even though he's not really Jewish yet, because, you know, Abraham hasn't come, so there's, like, no Hebrews. But anyway, he's still, you know, according to our tradition and our story, he's still part of our Christian narrative and our Jewish narrative, our shared narrative. And so he brings the seven clean animals so that when all is well, because 
damn it, if we're not a people of hope and optimism, he's ready to make sacrifices. One for each of his family. Mm-hmm. Right? That is kind of cool. So, two of everything. Again, legend. So, two of everything. I don't care. I hate it when people are like, well, let's do the math on how big the ark. I don't care how big the ark is. Like, it's not going to happen. So, also, because it's legend, it's important to remember that when people are talking about the world, we're talking about people that can't go farther than anything they can do with a sail or an oar. So, their concept of the world is pretty freaking limited. So, in this legend, Noah has had enough after 120 years, and so he goes in and he seals, seals the door, closes it and seals it, so that he's alone and in a safe place from the world that he was called to engage. Okay, so, after the waters recede, um... The hero of our great legend comes out of the ark. How long, how long had the water spin? Okay, so that's the thing, right? In the story, it's it's an epic amount of time because we talk about the rain for forty days, but essentially, in the story, the way the story is told, they're on the ark for like two years. So it's this, it's a significant amount of time. Which, if you're reading this as this legend that Noah goes in and he seals himself off from the world. That kind of indicates, right, this, like, stoicism to what's happening outside and fear, like a, a fear of engaging, um, maybe because he didn't feel equipped, maybe because he didn't feel prepared, maybe because he was weary. I don't know. I mean, there's that's the beautiful thing about a legend, right? It speaks to all of us based on where we are. And I know that for those of us that have been in the trenches, and I'm talking to my brothers and sisters that have been in ministries working with the you know the the disenfranchised and the marginalized and the and the significantly underserved and ignored man it's fucking weary i can see why there would be an appeal to saying oh i need a sanctuary um however in the tradition i grew up in it was a i need to save myself it was the story of noah i'm going to Come out here and I'm going to tell you all how awful you are and how debaucherous your lives are and how you shouldn't let your daughters wear two-piece swimsuits and, you know, God forbid you teach your boys to not be assholes and how you shouldn't, you know, use cuss words. (coughs) So go into your sanctuary, cut yourself off, be different, but not by actually being different, but just by being far away and not interacting and, and, um, and all will be well. So in our legend... He seals himself off and then he comes out and surveys the destruction. You know, in the in the in the story, he sends out bird he keeps sending these birds out and they come back with nothing. They come back with nothing. They just fly, they fly, they fly, and then they come and they come back and they're exhausted. Right? The bird goes out and it comes back exhausted. Can you even imagine what it what an exhausted bird would look like? I mean we see birds do crazy shit all day. An exhausted bird. Nowhere to land. Nowhere to rest. And then he finally sends out a bird and it comes back with an olive branch. Also, ta-da, a little epistemology. That's where we get the idea of extending the olive branch, yada, yada. Sign of peace. And so um, that's when they decide that they can stop, that maybe they're getting ready to like, they're getting ready. Things are getting ready. And then one day he sends out the bird and the bird never comes back. I'm not going to lie. As a little kid, I remember reading that and being like, okay, you just told me how fucking exhausted all the birds are. 
how do you know that the bird just didn't like go plummeting into the right. water? Mm-hmm. But whatever, it's a legend, so we're supposed to take it for what it is. So, so said bird doesn't come back, and in the legend, we're all supposed to understand that it's because it found a happy tree to make a nest, and you know, and begin its bird family again, and. <coughs> And so Noah and his family open the doors to the ark, and they walk out. And before we get to the happy ending that we as Protestants are all taught, there's a season and a time where Noah goes out and he surveys the destruction. He walks out and he just sees how like everything has been brutalized and wiped out, and he laments. Of course he does. And part of his lament is that he feels inside of him a regret that he didn't do more to engage the world that he was asked to to cultivate. And this is what's happened while he was in his sanctuary with his eyes closed saying his prayers. It's the utter destruction of all that he loved and saw and could touch. And, and so he has his sacrifices and his children and God, you know, asshole God of the Old Testament, this one, this fickle, crazy nine-year-old God who didn't like his drawing, so decided to start over, puts a rainbow in the sky as a covenant of their promise to never again destroy everything. Okay, so that obviously is legend, because are you serious? We've been more fucked up and psycho since no, since the story of Noah, and yet, you know, what, whatever. So it's just... Obviously, this is a legend. Obviously, this is a way of us engaging with ourselves. And I always say time and time and time again, y'all have already heard me. There's only five episodes, and I always harp on the idea that there's not a moral to the story. But there is a moral to this one. So excited. (laughs) Okay, I kind of feel like I'm messing with your head a little bit. What's the moral to the story? Well, I (coughs) am I? Because you're kind of curious now. Oh, yeah, I, I have a lot of questions. Okay, so, good. Well, we'll get right. to the questions. Okay, yeah. so the moral of the story. So if my rabbi friend is correct, and let's be real clear that, like, I don't always believe that there's just one right way to read scripture. I do believe there is one wrong way. We'll maybe get into that in some episode. But I'm on stories like this out of the Old Testament, I'm pretty inclined to believe my friends of the Hebrew tradition. I mean, just um, the years and years and years of studying Um, their own stories and narratives, there's something to be said for that. So, the moral of the story would be that we are, if we are people of a rainbow covenant of true hope and true optimism, if we really believe that the world was created good, that man was created good, that God looked on all they had created and said it was good, And then we get derailed. We lose our purpose. We lose our point. We lose our compass. Which happens to me on my best days, right? There's 15 minutes where I just feel, whew, got to get back on track. Then we're called to engage the world around us every single day. Now the hard part is, is that growing up in the tradition I grew up in, what that meant was proselytize. Mm. But that's not what was happening. Because the sins and the crimes of early early life, the sins and the crimes of the people of Jesus day, the sins and the crimes of our brothers and sisters and me, myself, the very thing we confess when we read the, when we read the confession from the book of common prayer, from the book of Lutheran prayer, you name it, is that we have sinned against ourselves and we have sinned against each other. 
And not in the sense that like we've said curse words or I wore a skirt too short and it caused my socially constructed brother who was taught to sexualize women to stumble to fall. It's that I didn't act in a loving way. It's that when Jesus was naked on the corner or hungry on the corner, I didn't stop to clothe him and feed him. So these are the sins, that I wasn't hospitable, that I wasn't kind, that I didn't make room for my neighbor, that I didn't make space for the person who needed an ally or a friend or a support system or a ride home from jail or a ride to the morgue. That was the sin and the crime. So that's the difference in engaging, because that's what I was taught, right? Like, it's really about going and telling everybody how to be a more moral person, quote-unquote, in those old ways. But what the moral of the story is that we are called to engage the world in this way, in this compassionate way. That we're called to engage the world, and this is what I love about the Noah allegory more than any of the others, is that what Noah was called to do wasn't to go, like, preach or conform or legislate morality all he was supposed to do was to engage people in a conversation about how great we could be hmm. if we acted out of our godlikeness. What kind of world would we create? So, yeah, I'm doing this crazy fucking thing. Oh, you want to talk about more why? Okay, cool. Let's talk about it. Can you even imagine what the world would be like if we were compassionate? Can you even imagine what the world would be like if we treated each other with respect? Can we even imagine what the world would be like if we didn't start sexualizing girls when they were 13? Or younger. Can you even imagine what the world would be like if we didn't judge people by the color of their skin or their socioeconomic status? If everything was equal? If the poor kid from rural Nowheresville had just as much of a chance to go to college because they were smart and they tried hard as the rich kid from the two-doctor household who's decided they want to study how to be a docent in feminist pottery, whatever, and the world has decided that's important because they've got the dollar signs to back it up. That's what we're called to do. Let's just have a conversation. What would the world be like if we... What would the world be like? And let people imagine. We're called... We are a people who are called to imagination. And so what would it be like if we started a conversation and we say, how do you imagine a world where people all act out of their godlikeness? Cool. All right, so Brian just informed me we're setting up <coughs> for length. Length. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh, why not? We're both sick. We can't talk. Why wouldn't we do this? It's the weirdest story so far. Okay, so, but instead of having those conversations, what we do and what we have done is we create our sanctuary. We make Christian music, which anybody who has followed me through my work as a, as a minister knows how I feel. <coughs> about Christian music. And if not, just go Google things like my name, creative worship tour, and you'll get a nice sense of it. Um, we've created, we, we separate ourselves. We make, we make different rules for how we talk. We make different rules for how we dress. We make Christian schools. And I, I don't have a problem with all Christian schools. Don't hear me say that. In fact, my, my dear friend, an amazing woman doing amazing work in Denver, um, Rachel McClare, had just posted recently about how her two boys these amazing young men, biracial, fabulous, musical, talented, growing up with a keen awareness of the injustices of the world and their their role in um, speaking to them and changing them. She ended up sending them to a Christian school. 
Rachel went to a badass, crazy fucking hardcore school in Albuquerque. Like, this girl knows how the system works. She didn't send her boys there to protect them. It was a whole other thing. Look her up, you guys. She writes great stuff. She's smart and talented and doing good things for Jesus. <coughs> um, so not a problem with Christian schools. But I was put in a Christian school to protect me from the world. I was put in a Christian school, as were most kids, because, like, public schools are dangerous. Public schools teach the wrong things. Public schools... Oh, my stars. If y'all think putting your kid in a Christian school is going to save them from drugs, sex, booze, parties, bad words, and rap music, let me buy you a drink and tell you... I know, right? Let me buy you a drink and tell you about the kind of stuff Christian school kids do. Um, and I was a good one. I was a good one. That, But I'll tell you right now, I knew everybody's stories. And and even more fun than that, I was the one deemed dangerous because I was the one from a broken home. But I wasn't the one doing all that crazy shit that my Christian school friends were doing. So, yeah. Seriously, any of you thinking that, I literally, I don't care how far away you are, I will Venmo you money. I will buy you a drink. And we will have a Skype meeting about how Christian school is not a sanctuary for your your amazing, innocent, Jesus-loving baby. Um, and I, I have a couple of those, so trust me when I say that. So the point, moral of the story is that like we go and we do these things. We, we, cre- we make these crazy steps to create a sanctuary. And, and just like Noah, just like our hero, it's a false fucking sanctuary. And what it requires of us is to turn our back on everything. And so we have to create systems, right? Like that guy on the street, well, he's that way because he's an addict. Fuck him, man. That's his karma. Or they're that way because they've made so many immoral choices. You know, we ignore the woman who's had, the woman at the well who's had five husbands because like, I don't know, sometimes the sister just has to fucking pay her rent and there's a guy that's willing to do it and this is what it's got to take. And we want to judge her. And so we turn our back on her or we say it's because of that because we're in our sanctuary. Or we decide that the that the young guy who's dressed this way and who uses these words must need Jesus. Man, you don't know that he prays every night to like keep his mama alive because she's dying and he's working two gigs. I mean, it's just all such bullshit, right? It's Our sanctuary is a total fucking lie, just like Noah's was. And what will happen is that when we finally choose to engage with the world around us in a meaningful way, in a like... My God, brother, I just noticed you are naked and you need clothes. I just noticed you are hungry and you need to be fed. I just noticed that you are without community and you need to be loved. How can I love you well? Which requires humility. We'll already have walked out and noticed that the world is burning. And we literally have nothing to give. Because we are a goddamn pansy hiding in our sanctuary. Because we're afraid to walk out into a world and love the way Jesus did. And the Noah allegory is one, despite the fact that it was told to me by an Orthodox rabbi, who he and I, the one thing we don't agree on is Jesus, it points to Jesus. Because Noah wouldn't do what Jesus was asked to do. And I think that's the moral of the story. Okay, this is the time of the podcast where I get to ask a few questions. And I guess... Sassy Pants isn't acknowledging it here. (coughs) Finally getting to ask questions. Um, okay, so my thought my thought towards the end there was, um, did people think Noah was crazy? Like, we had, like oh, yeah, I always yeah. had a thing, like, and so my thought was, was he just tired of people, like, 
saying like, uh, what are you building an arc for? And yeah, you nut job. Yeah, and totally. Yeah. And I kind of glossed over like 18 million details in the story because honest to God, you guys, it's four chapters long. Mm. And you heard me talk that long about the overview. Um, people totally thought he was crazy, but you know what I love about that? People kind of thought Jesus was crazy. Yeah. People kind of thought John the Baptist was crazy. If you're ever anti, not anti, because that, that's what you're against. If you're ever counter empire, if you're ever the upside down kingdom, if you're ever acting and living out of a value system that doesn't reflect what the world, capital T, capital W, says you should, you get called crazy. But do you think that he... <coughs> he went into the ark just to, because he was tired of it, or not. Well, and so that's the cool just, thing, and I kind of alluded to that, right? Like, oh, yeah, he was probably tired of being called crazy. Right. He was, 120 years, the legend is, that he built the ark. He was probably tired of being ignored. He was probably tired of the fact that, like, 120 years of conversation didn't change things. He was also probably a little selfish and maybe a little self-righteous. I'm an elder in this community. I'm a badass. I'm a, I'm accomplishing the impossible. Why aren't people listening to me? You know, I'm a I'm a dude with a dick. I should have authority. You know, I mean there was there's probably this is what I love about legends. Legends speak to all of us where we are. So I know a lot of rich white men who think that the fact that they have a penis and money and the right color of skin and the right letters behind their name think that they are an expert on things or they should have a voice or they should have power or they should have authority. Um, Noah speaks to them. Oh my God, why aren't people listening to me? I'm the shit. Look at what I've built. I know a lot of people who have spent decades Sitting with people with AIDS. I mean, and you know what? We don't get we don't get medals for this. This is what we're called to do. But I know people that have spent decades of their lives with the marginalized and the forgotten and the seemingly unlovable. And there comes a point. I mean, social workers. Man, sometimes you meet social workers and you're just like, you are fucking tired. And they are because the system continues to fail them. And they serve day in, day in, day out. And children are still abused. And women are still beaten. And addicts still aren't cared for and community is still not whole and man you get to a point where you're just like i'm fucking tired man i worked as a social worker in the refugee intensive care unit for six months and i was like what the hell is what is wrong with our world you know it's just it's it was a it was a it was a breaking against the rocks kind of experience and and i think there are the you know that's the beauty of it like and then there are people who just they keep saying no, this is what love is. No, this is what... And they think they're they're idealistic, right? I meet all of these young, amazing, passionate people. I'm not dissing on them at all. But like they think that their passion will get them out there. This is what love looks like. This is what activism looks like. This is what changing the world looks like. Why aren't people listening? All of y'all are too fucked up. All of y'all are too capitalistic. All of y'all, okay. Or... God, we're just tired. And so they get pissed and they separate themselves. That's the beauty of a legend is like all of us are in Noah. So what happens to Noah? Oh, so that's kind of sad. Do we want to go into that? Well, he got drunk and then he fell off a cliff. Is that what happened? Well, geez, wouldn't that have been nicer? <laughs> that might have been nicer than what happened. Yeah, that might have been nicer than what happened. 
Okay, really? So what, so what happened, happened to, to Noah? Noah? Yeah. All right. Short story. Reader's Digest version. So Noah, the way the text reads is that, so Noah gets off the ark, does his covenant thing with God, uh, sacrifices this rainbow, all the cool shit. And then he goes and he plants a vineyard. So this is where American Puritanism has a ball because they've decided that that's why Noah becomes a drunkard. Because he does. Because he's depressed. Because he's depressed. Go back to the legend. Of course the man's depressed. The world burned around him. He has and no friends. He has no friends. He has nobody. And everything's died and is awful. By the way, you guys, go look up. There's this amazing art made by a young woman whose name is not coming to me. But when I figure it out, I will put it on our Twitter. Because <coughs> it's been like 10 years. But she made art, like cross-stitch, essentially, for your nursery around the reality of the Old Testament Bible stories. And so one of them is Noah's Ark, and so she's got the Ark and two of each animal, smiling, adorable, you know, rounded shapes. And then there's little people floating in the water with, like, X's for eyes. Because the whole fucking world is wiped out. Like, why do we think this is cute? Why do we think this is adorable? Why do we make this a nursery theme? Not judging you guys, my second daughter's nursery theme was Noah's in the Ark, and that's I'm apologizing to Anna Michelle right now because that. How many people do you think were killed at that time? Like, what do you think the legend? Okay, you're still saying that. I know, I know, but. Okay, so there is a theory (coughs) that there was a flood. Like, any time there had been a flood anywhere in the world, people decided that the entire world had died. Mm -hmm. So there is a theory that the Caspian Sea overflowed, which would make sense because then Turkey would have flooded. Like, significantly. Um, but, you know, anywhere from a, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds could have died and it would have seemed like a, like the world was ending. Right, right. Hundreds of lives is pretty significant. I mean, right. one life is significant. Right. We just saw this with the Las Vegas shooting. I mean, 50 plus lives is significant. Mm-hmm. And so to that's part of why this story is so disgusting for people to make it be like pure and cutesy and sanitized and adorable that that hundreds thousands of people could be wiped out and we think that that's just or right or beautiful or loving or good it's just it's fucked up it's fucked up and if that's the god you're worshiping like y'all might have issues. Okay, so, Noah so Noah, Noah plants a vineyard and becomes basically a, a vino master. And like, props to you, man. Someone had to get us all going. Um, and but the hard part is, is that then he also became a drunkard. And then one night, dude got so drunk, and his daughters, you know, legend again. This is not science or history. His daughters are like, well, we need to have kids, and there are no young men. Like, we need to have families because. Also, let's remember that a woman had no value in society unless she was a mother. And these these young women were like, well, shit, now what? Like, there's nobody. And so they got their dad toasted and, and, and yeah, had sex with him. So did Lot's daughters, by the way. This wasn't the only thing that happened. And his, and his son saw him naked, which was, like, a really big deal. So. And so then they had Noah's babies? Okay, it didn't really happen, y'all. It didn't really happen. But this is the legend. And so the point is that uh, that we, you know, Noah's motives in creating the ark were really great. Noah's motives in sealing the ark were self-preservationist. And when we lose our point and our purpose 
as people of God. And to pretend for a moment that that's moralistic is just sick and twisted. What it is, is fully invested in the now, fully invested in the neighborhood you are planted, fully invested in the community of which you are a part. To lose sight of that means that we get, we get wrecked. Hmm. We get wrecked. It's not the same thing as mental illness. I have a number of beautiful, amazing, kind friends who live every day with depression. Um, that's not what Noah was dealing with. What Noah was dealing with was like a, I fucked up. Which is, regret is different than depression. Every day. And, 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 and brother messed up. Alright, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Old Testament Bible Hour, Jody. And so in this part, we just wrap it up and we choose the topic. That okay, wait, I want to know what you thought. Give me a 30 second synopsis of what you thought. Well, first of all, it's that it's it's one of those things for me that I that I struggle with a little bit from the standpoint of that, you know, I was kind of raised to believe that these people were real people and that these things really happened. I mean, you know, I did too, right? Yeah. And so... Like, I can't pass the science class in today's, cl- in today's school system because my conservative Christian school education was so messed up in teaching me how to argue for a young earth. Right, right. This is all I know. So, but it's interesting because it's like I, um, the stories that you're told, I mean, they hold true to what you talk about, but it's just a different perspective. And that's what I enjoy when we get together and talk because it just gives me a different way to look at things. How does it sit with you, the Noah story? How did it feel? How did it feel in your body? Well, it always bothered me from the standpoint of that, that everything got wiped, that I felt like everything got wiped off the earth and I never really understood that and like how... How does everything bounce back from that? Yeah, it's kind of fucked up, right? Well, why would God do that? Right, yeah. I mean, if, and, because, because from my point of view was, if he created all this, and he, you felt like he had some control over it. You keep calling him he. It's going to bother me. I know, I'm sorry. It's fine. (laughs) If he did that, then, then how did he just, allow it to happen in so many ways that it got to the point where he felt like it was so bad that he had to destroy everything and start over again. Your conservative roots are coming out. And then if that happened, then... God controlled everything and then God let it go shit and then God's gonna... I love it. I love it. I'm learning so much more about you. This is fun for me. Okay, go on. Well, because then if he... But then... God. that, That God has promised to not do it again... You know, and then well, and then forgotten. is God only holding themselves back because we're clearly just as fucked up? Right, but he's, I know. but he's promised he's not going to do it again. God has promised that he's not going to do it again. Totally a nod to me. God I has promised. That. God has promised that he's not going to do it again. That was cute. Thank you. And so, I think that so that gives you hope that no that's the thing you're hoping in that we're not going to get wiped out. Well, no. Are I'm... you paying attention to the news? We're totally going to get wiped out. It's totally a possibility. It's totally a reality. Oh, yeah, but it's always been a re- By our own hand. Right. God will step That's what you this. got. Oh, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are we friends? Okay. <laughs> okay. Draw. Oh, my God. One. I'm so glad I already love you because Draw that answer almost one. made me punch you in the throat. Draw the next one. For those people that don't know about my violent tendencies. Pacifist who loves Jesus, but, <coughs> but I punch people from time to time. All right. Drawing from the bowl, the magic bowl. Sweet Jesus, let it be a good one. <gasps> the salt. Oh, I dropped.
dropped you guys. <gasps> I dropped you guys. Okay, the Psalms. The entire book of Psalms? Yep, the entire book. So it might be, might set a new record. <laughs> Sweet Jesus. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great time. Good night. Good night.